Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Brainwaves. Hear the world differently. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio Wednesdays at 5pm for Brainwaves, Melbourne's drive-time radio show. Giving voice to people with mental illness. One in five have a mental illness, but five in five can enjoy this great program featuring heartwarming stories, great information and some laughs as well. Find us at 3CR. 8.55 on your AM dial. Sponsored by Mental Illness Fellowship of Victoria. Good afternoon. You're listening to Brainwaves on 3CR 855 AM and we are celebrating International Day of People with Disability, which is a United Nations sanctioned day that aims to promote an understanding of people with disability and encourage support for their dignity, rights and well-being. The day also seeks to increase awareness of the benefits of the integration of people with disability in every aspect of political, social, economic and cultural life. International Day of People with Disability brings together individuals, businesses, community organisations and governments from every corner of the world to celebrate and acknowledge the contributions, skills and achievements of people with a disability. And we have a great lineup today on Brainwaves. Uh, we have Alicia Carroll, Technical Advisor with the Disability Inclusive Department from CBM, Joel and Helen Fernandez from the Leprosy Mission. Helen is the International Programs Manager and Joel is a disability advocate with the National DPO or Disabled People's Organisation in East Timor. And we also have Dr. Erminia Colucci, who's a visual anthropologist and a clinical psychologist as well as a lecturer at the University of Melbourne and she's the producer of Breaking the Chains documentary, which we'll hear all about. She works at the Global and Cultural Mental Health Unit. And today we're going to be hearing about disability-inclusive development in low-to-middle-income countries. Uh, Did you know that over 1 billion people, or approximately 15% of the world's population, live with some form of disability? Around the world, persons with disabilities face physical, social, economic and attitudinal barriers that exclude them from participating fully and effectively as equal members of society. They are disproportionately represented among the world's poorest and lack equal access to basic resources such as education, employment, health care and social and legal support systems, as well as have a higher rate of mortality. In spite of this situation, disability has remained largely invisible in the mainstream development agenda and its processes. So I'd like to give a warm welcome to our special guests, Dr. Erminia Colucci, Alicia Carroll, Helen and Joel Fernandez. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks. Could you, we might kick it off. Um, why is International Day of People with Disability important to you? Um, International Day for People with Disabilities is really important for um, CBM, my organisation, um, and it really offers an opportunity to um, have a reflection about where we're at with um, disability inclusion uh, in Australia and across other countries. Um, It's a good time, if it's the first time you've thought about disability inclusion, it offers an opportunity for organisations to have an event and think about it for for the first time. Um, And it also uh, allows us to celebrate diversity in our communities as well um, and highlighting some of the ongoing issues that we might need to address in Australia to ensure the inclusion of people with disability. Yeah, yeah I think it's a really um, important day in many countries um, just to strengthen the voices of people with disabilities and I think in many um, low to middle income countries the voices of people with disabilities are not heard in general conversations and so having um, at least one day of the year when there's a lot of advocacy activities and a, and a lot of um, spotlight and um, I think it's just a, a great time to bring to the table to present to governments and 
um, to communities, just the importance of community diversity, as Alicia said. And, um, yeah, I, I know that from advocacy activities in previous um, years, um, there's been a lot of good positive change. So I think it's a real catalyst for um, the work that has been done and also to look to the future years of what can be done. Yeah, I, I don't think I have much to, to add. It's been very well covered. And I guess for me personally, the, the aspect I most like about it is the kind of celebration, a celebration of, I guess, of, of abilities, actually, and celebrating the kind of um, the potential or of, of achieving, recognizing all that people with some disadvantage in some way they can um, achieve. And so that's about the celebration, the part I like about it. Uh, I think this is very important for us because... I'm, I had disability as well, so it's very important for me because this day, it's like in East Timor, we can, this day we can tell to government and the community that people with disability have same right with other people. So yeah, it's very important for me. Great. Um, Alicia, can you tell us a bit about what I'll do is I'll get you to each introduce you the organisations you're representing and tell us a bit about what they do. But Alicia, can you tell us about CBM and the CBM NOSL Partnership for Disability Inclusive Development and the Australian Disability and Development Consortium? Because I understand CBM has been spearheading disability inclusive development um, in partnership with other agencies. Sure. Um, so the organisation I work for is CBM Australia. Um, I'm a technical advisor in the Disability Inclusive Development Department. Um, so CBM is actually a really big international Christian development organisation and we work for the Australian part of that. Um, our organisation is devoted to improving the lives of people with disability in the poorest places. Um, we work in more than, 70, uh, sorry, more than 18 countries over 70 different projects um, and we have a range of projects um, and programs. So I work for the program that engages other development organisations to include people with disability in their programs. So whether it be water and sanitation or livelihoods or health or education um, development programs, we advocate and help um, organisations to ensure that they're um, ensuring that people with disability are benefiting from their programs and are also participating in implementation and that kind of thing. Um, so my department also works with um, CBM, uh, with NOSL Partnership, which is um, the disability inclusive um, development part of the NOSL Institute for Global Health, which is based at Melbourne University. Um, they have a focus on um, building research and policies and systems around inclusive development and they also have a focus on global health as well. Um, so we join forces, I guess, um, to address disability inclusion and uh, keep it on the agenda in, develop in the development sector. Um, and we also have uh, international programs where we provide funding for disability-specific uh, programs in lots of different countries um, and we work through local partners in those countries to deliver the programs um, and their programs directed at improving the lives of people with disability. Yeah. Helen and Joel, could you tell us a bit about the leprosy mission and also, Joel, we'd love to hear more about the DPO that you're involved in in East Timor and your role there. Uh, I'll kick it off with um, about the Leprosy Mission. So the Leprosy Mission is an international um, organisation similar to CBM, a bit smaller, um, and everyone always asks, you know, why leprosy? Isn't it eradicated? Isn't it an ancient disease? But um, actually leprosy still exists, and um, leprosy, if untreated, causes um, disability, and I think that a lot of people that we work with even after they've um, taken the cure, the medical cure, they would still identify as having leprosy and that is a label that they feel that they carry for a long time because of the stigma and the myths that are associated with leprosy. So um, the Leprosy Mission works in about 31 
different countries. So some countries are, are funding and, uh, I guess, technical advice giving, and the other other countries are the real experts at implementing the projects and and really working so closely with communities um, where leprosy is still a big problem. So. Um, for the leprosy mission, we work every everything from disease prevention and control, so working with governments on their plans, um, I guess doing a lot of information and awareness raising with communities, um, and then the medical treatment, um, sometimes surgery if um, people have impairments that can be uh, fixed through, through surgery, um, and then everything to community development and really working with communities where leprosy has been a big problem and um, helping them to develop their communities as they, as they want to. Um, and then we've done a little bit of work um, with disabled persons organisations, especially in smaller countries where leprosy has been a problem and where leprosy-affected people are a big proportion of the, the population of people with disabilities. So um, in Timor-Leste, um, we've done a lot of work with um, the DPO there, um, really to do advocacy across the whole country um, and improve the lives of people with leprosy or disability across all sectors. So, yeah, I guess Joel can talk a little bit about that DPO. <laughs> okay, about DPO, Disabled People Organization Timor-Leste, East Timor, uh, we do focus on advocate, advocacy. Uh, yeah, my role in Disabled People Organization is disability advocate. So we always do advocate to government, to ratify UNCRPD because in Timor Leste we didn't the government didn't ratify yet uh, this CRPD the UN Convention the, on the yes. Rights of People with Disabilities yeah, yeah thanks uh, and then yeah we have like thirteen districts in Timor East Timor so we have uh, thirteen staff in all of district so they always do like uh, socialization to schools, community to talk more about disability that they have same right with other people and yeah, sometimes our staff bring uh, go to school and then talk with the teacher so they they can uh, accept people with disability to come to the school because like every school in Timor don't have accessibility so we will talk with the teacher. So if they accept the people with disability can come to school, we will provide like accessibility about toilet or ramp to the school so people with disability can access to the school. So I understand, Joel, you've been involved in doing audits of um, physical access in schools and in other spaces. Yeah, uh, that's my rule as well because uh, we want to uh, people with disability can have good access to them everywhere. So we 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 go to the place and then we will build a ram or toilet. They want have access for people with disability. Yeah, that's fantastic, and. Alicia and Armenia have recently come back from overseas and have been doing some fascinating work there. Um, Armenia, could could you tell us a bit about your recent trip to the Philippines and what you were doing over there yep. in terms of mental health and psychosocial support? Yes. So, um, as you mentioned, I am with the uh, Global and Cultural Mental Health Unit at the Center for Mental Health, School of Population and Global Health at Melbourne University. And um, uh, we work in a number of different areas related to uh, mental health um, issues, uh, normally in um, uh, other migrants and refugee populations in Australia uh, or in low-mid-income countries. And uh, uh, so we do have a kind of a social justice and human rights interest. And one of my um, particular interests is about violence against women. 
Japan. So as you mentioned, I just returned from Philippines where I um, uh, worked on a, a documentary film project with my collaborator, Dr. Dina Nadera from uh, Philippines around basic domestic violence against women. And so we were looking within the frame of, of uh, mental health and prevention of suicide, we were looking about... Um, um, experiences of women who uh, were or are victims of abuse and try to understand also what actually is helping them or has helped them uh, to uh, stop the violence um, and uh, so in uh, what actually has been of support to them and then also working with a number of organizations and government and non-government try to understand what actually are, they are providing in terms of um, prevention of domestic violence and what are some of the challenges that they are facing and as well as what are successful strategies in helping preventing um, domestic violence. So it's been a um, very interesting project. Now uh, the, the data co collection was done through a film. Um, so it's a visual research, research project. So now I have a lot of very interesting and um, challenging material uh, to kind of edit and uh, make a new documentary about. Yeah, fantastic. Um, Alicia, within the Australian Council for International Development, um, disability inclusion has become a cross-cutting issue which uh, CBN and the Australian Disability Development Consortium has been lobbying and advocating for for a long time. Uh, so what I mean by a cross-cutting issue is that when developing projects, you have to take into consideration things such as are people with disabilities um, not just consulted, but are they included in the program? Do they have access to the program? Are, are their needs being taken into consideration and how will the project address these needs? Um, how I'd, I'd like to hear a bit about um, your involvement in that. Yeah. Sure. Um, I guess to assist um, organisations to think about how they can incorporate disability inclusion in every aspect of their work, whether it's in their own office or um, when they're designing programs out in the field, that they're including people with disability from the start, um, that people with disability or the organisations that represent them, DPOs, um, are involved in where the decisions are made about how programs happen in communities um, and that they're involved throughout the program. So At that all they can, different levels in a meaningful way. That's right, yeah. so that they can um, make sure that the development program is equitable and doesn't miss anyone or leave anyone behind. Um, so uh, sometimes people are not confident in how to do disability inclusion, so we provide technical advice and we do training and capacity building with different organisations. Um, we, I guess one of the most important things we do is um, for help form linkages between disabled people's organisations and development organisations so they can start having conversations about how the program would best work and meet the needs of different um, people in that community. Um, so I guess the Code of Conduct really um, supports that work. It's, it's something that organisations sign up to voluntarily um, and can help that to guide their work around it and to check that they're um, delivering their programs in an equitable way. Now, you also work in the mental health sphere and um, working on providing psychosocial support. I know CBM's been instrumental in natural disaster response, say post-tsunami or post-natural disaster in... Aceh in Indonesia and also um, post-conflict areas as well as in community development programs. Could you tell us a bit about um, some of the psychosocial supports that the pro programs are offering? Sure. Um, so CBM does support a number of community mental health programs um, in West Africa and Asia um, and those programs are designed to um, train staff in how to provide psychosocial support, um, to develop 
uh, I guess, models of support that fits that culture and in that context using um, through local partners. Um, it's about creating awareness about the importance of mental health to human development. Um, we know that mental health is often a neglected area of um, development. Yeah, precisely, because constantly we're seeing images of malnutrition, poverty, famine, human tragedy on large scale, but we don't know about what the supports are that exist for mental health services, which are obviously needed. We hear so much about material aid being provided, but not the psychosocial support that's being provided. Yeah, um, that's right. It can be um, uh, not as visible, I guess, um, but we know that um, particularly around humanitarian responses, there's been uh, much more awareness about the importance of psychosocial support systems um, in those responses, and it's become part of the mandatory approach to disaster response now. Um, so that's a really great improvement. And I think in health generally, it's starting to um, gain momentum that primary health care needs to include um, mental health awareness for the staff and that they know how to provide psychosocial support to people who come to their health centres as well. Um, I think the areas that need further development is in education where we're teaching um, you know, young people and children about how to be um, aware of their mental health and how to stay healthy. Um, and I guess too, in terms of people with disability, um, people who experience psychosocial disability are often, um, even amongst disability groups, perhaps um, experiencing extreme discrimination and particular issues that are unique to their group and that... Um, it's really important that we support people with psychosocial disability to have a voice about those issues for them. Um, and that's been a part of our work in the community mental health programs as well as um, encouraging self-help groups to form um, so people can provide support to each other. And also sometimes those groups can um, take an advocacy role in the communities as well and start to um, challenge the sometimes negative attitudes that people might have in a community towards people with psychosocial disability. Helen and Joel, um, we spoke earlier about there can be stigma, um, discrimination, lack of acceptance and understanding of people with disability. In in your line of work with people affected by leprosy, um, I understand there's still leper colonies in some parts of the world where people are effectively segregated from the rest of society and are shunned and rejected and having to... Um, beg for survival um, and yeah. that that certainly would impact on mental health and well-being um, could you elaborate on psychosocial support that the leprosy mission provides with yeah. its partners yeah sure I think um, yeah leprosy still is extremely <laughs> um, stigmatized as a disease and for people affected by leprosy the stigma that they often face is quite extreme and um, even some countries still have um, discriminatory laws um, against people affected by leprosy, um, which is quite surprising. <laughs> um, but um, I just remember a story that uh, one of the, the guys that we work with in a community in, in Nepal, um, he, he'd seen a, a, a friend be diagnosed with leprosy and basically the, the village had had kicked this other guy out and let him live in a field and if he ever came close to the community they'd throw rocks at him um and so basically um that that man passed away because of malnutrition and um then this friend was was also diagnosed with leprosy and he was really fearing for his own life and for his own well-being and um yeah, through through some of the work that the Leprosy Mission does there, really the support, and I think Alicia touched on just the importance of self-help groups and having peers um, that meet together and provide that support peer-to-peer -peer is just so important. And um, he became part of a, a self-help group who, um, I guess, helped him heal his ulcers which is the visible sign often of leprosy and um, he had an amazing story where he actually then became this great advocate and really helped 
the attitudes of people in the community to turn around and helped to diagnose other cases of leprosy and to really, I guess, turn that stigma around. And I, and I think just that that role of peer-to-peer support is just so important. Um, we, we have a lot of hospital-based programs where people who have just been newly diagnosed with leprosy are offered counselling. Um, just because I think, you know, the diagnosis of leprosy does correlate with often people say I felt so depressed (laughs) Um, and that support for psychosocial well-being is just so so important and I think that traditional model of counselling although it has its place I think that peer-to-peer self-help group has been so so important we've just seen that that's really enabled a lot of um, community support and yeah I guess moves and progress towards wellness at a community level. Boldness, campaigning for human rights for people with disabilities. Join us every third Wednesday of the month at 6pm on 3CR. You're listening to Brainwaves on 3CR 8.55am and it's a special broadcast celebrating International Day of People with Disability and our guests today are Joel and Helen Fernandez. Helen is the International Programs Manager with the Leprosy Mission. Joel is a disability advocate in Timor-Leste. And we also have Alicia Carroll, Technical Advisor for Disability Inclusive Development at CBM, and another guest, Dr. Ermini Colucci from the University of Melbourne. We've been talking about how Across the humanitarian aid and development programs, disability inclusion is becoming more and more on the agenda. Isn't that right, Alicia? That's right. <laughs> yeah. And Alicia, you've you've just come back from was it Bangkok? Could you tell us a bit about what you were doing over there? Sure. Um a really important part of CBM's work is to support Um, people with disability to have a voice about the issues that affect them and impact on them. Um, And one, um, I guess, a group of people who might not have had as strong a voice um, in in our region is um, Disabled People's Organisations for People with Psychosocial Disability. Um, So I was really excited and fortunate to go to Bangkok to be a part of a meeting of people with psychosocial disability from 12 different countries across the Asia region. Um, They met for the first time last year with just three countries represented and this year they had 12. So there's a real um, momentum, I guess, um, around people with psychosocial disability from the region uh, coming together to talk about issues that are unique to them in this region. Um, and they are developing a strategy for how they can support each other to um, advance disability inclusion in their countries. So their focus is on transforming communities for inclusion and really looking at how they can um, build on community strengths and psychosocial supports for people with disabilities. Um, And I guess um, support... being able, as an organisation, being able to support and listen to those um, issues being aired and then use and supporting that in our own advocacy as well when we're working with other development organisations um, to help them to be more inclusive in their work. Can you define psychosocial support and what it looks like on the ground? Um, psychosocial support really represents a kind of holistic approach to supporting a person. So it recognises the psychology of the, or the, the internal um, thoughts and emotions and behaviours of a person, but it also relates to the interaction with a person's um, community and their families and all the interactions that they have in their society and the kind of sometimes barriers that society puts on how we behave as well. So um, it's a fairly complex term, but I think it's because it really represents a range of 
things and um, really important things when we're thinking about um, providing support in a community. Um, also, I guess people with psychosocial disability, um, people might choose to identify as having a disability, a psychosocial disability, or they might um, identify as being a psychiatric survivor, which yeah. is um, related to where people have had a negative experience with um, health services and, and consider that they've survived that and prefer to use that identity. Um, and then some people wouldn't um, associate with disability at all, but um, might uh, have still experienced discrimination in their communities because they've had a mental health issue or um, seen as different in their community. Thanks. Joel, you wanted to talk a bit about stigma that you had experienced from having a disability in East Timor and what it's like for people in the context of the country you're from. Okay. Uh, like in Timor, because we in Timor, we our country is lots of mountains and then yeah, the, it's like it's very new country. So yeah, it's like people with disability there, their life is very hard, and then uh, yeah, and then I had like lots of uh, stigmatized stigma before I was in Timor. Uh, it's like when I want to go somewhere, I want to catch taxi when I. St- Stop them. Sometimes they, when they saw me in the wheelchair, they just don't want to stop. They just go, and mm. but sometimes others stop. But when they see my wheelchair, they just oh no, we, I don't have a room in my booth because I have big speakers there. So sorry. Then they just go. So yeah, it's, it's like it's a very bad attitude. And then sometimes when. I went to wedding party, like some people just talking about me, oh, why these people just come to this party? Why he just stayed home or, yeah, it's like that. So I just feel, wow, it's not really good attitude. And yeah, it, that's, for me, I just, yeah, have, that's my experience. And then lots of experience like happen for other people with disability there. It's very bad. Because sometimes their family still hide them from the community. And then, yeah. So you've personally experienced social exclusion. Yeah. 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 And uh, Joel and Helen have have a love story. Uh, Met in East Timor. And your relationships featured on national television in East Timor and New Zealand. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. We'd love to hear how you met and about that documentary, about your life love story. <laughs> yeah, we um, in a very funny turn of events. <laughs> um, yeah, our, our um, love story, I guess, but also some of the work that Joel was doing in, in Timor Leste was featured on a um, documentary by Attitude Live, um, which is a New Zealand um, television company. And, um, yeah, Joel and I met in, in Timor during um, some work for the leprosy mission. And, um, yeah, <laughs> what else to say? I guess uh, just as a bystander, but now Joel's wife, um, I was also felt some of the stigma that Joel experienced during our dating <laughs> dating months. And um, just a small, small snippet of that was um, once we went for a date in um, in Dili at a restaurant and we were just sitting there and Joel was holding my hand and um, the waitress was so shocked <laughs> and she called all her friends to come and so pretty soon we had a little audience behind the counter and they weren't preparing our food, they were just staring at us. <laughs> and I think um, just that experience helped me have a tiny bit of insight into just the discrimination that... Um, that people face in Timor still just the lack of understanding um, about the benefits of a diverse community and um, just that, I guess, 
the the thought that people with disabilities should be hidden away. And um, I think things are really positively changing, and I think that's great. But um, yeah, it was just a really interesting experience of yeah, a little taste of what Joel's experienced and many other people living in Timor and across the world. So, but Joel, there was quite an overwhelming positive response to that documentary, wasn't there? <laughs> yeah, he says yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. right. I think um, in Timor it was um, really um, nerve-wracking, actually, because we're both a little bit shy. But um, <laughs> in Timor, it's really um, it went viral on Facebook, <laughs> and um, many people, when we've been back to Timor, have actually known who we are <laughs> and come up to us. Oh, you're Joel, oh, you know. And I think <laughs> it's just a, been a great advocacy piece. Um, for you know Joel to come out and kind of tell his story about how he acquired his disability and the and the challenges and barriers that he faced and um yeah I hope that it it helps other people think about um disability into the future in Timor yeah speaking of being hidden away uh we have Dr. Emilia Colucci who's the producer of a documentary called Breaking the Chains in in it's about people with experiencing mental illness in Indonesia who are detained, chained or shackled or even half buried in pits indefinitely. We're going to go to a promo for the screening, the launch of this film and we'll have Amina on right after the break. Do you know that in some parts of the world people with mental illness are chained up and do not receive any help at all? Breaking the Chains is a new film investigating these seclusion and restraint practices in Indonesia. Come along to the launch on International Human Rights Day on Wednesday, 10th December. This free screening will be followed by a panel discussion, plus there will be special performances by Plan B Big Band and others. Come along from 4.30 till 9pm at Elizabeth Murdoch Theatre A, the University of Melbourne, Swanson Street, Carlton. For further info, email brainwaves at mifellowship.org or visit movie-ment.org. No booking is necessary. Free Pursum. Break the chains. Dr. Amini Kalucci, uh, welcome to Brainwaves. And it's been a labour of love quite confronting and intense work producing the documentary Breaking the Chains. It's going to be screening. The screening is going to be launched next next Wednesday. Mm. Um, perhaps you could tell us a bit about it. Yes, and I also want to use the opportunity to thank 3CR for um, being part of the event uh, we're organizing on next Wednesday, and you, Ben, for being um, a fantastic partner to work with, to putting this together. So it, is a, it, it was and it is a work of labor, so it's a continuing thing. Uh, it's a, um, uh, looking into the issue uh, of human rights abuses against mentally, uh, people with mental health issues. So this uh, project was started a uh, um, couple of years ago in uh, Indonesia, as you mentioned, and um, I have been following an organization based in Changjur, which is in Java Island. Uh, they are an organization of volunteers. They also have mental health issues, and they go around in the community try to find people who have been chained or in other forms of physical um, uh, constriction or seclusion and try to work with the family to help them understand about mental health, first of all, and then um, uh, working towards providing a better uh, care for them to aim towards their freedom, but also to provide uh, then um, uh, support for them, a reintegration in the community. Community. So this is a, um, actually a part of a series I'm making. So it's a, for the first film, and as you mentioned, next week finally we'll be um, releasing it, and hopefully, hopefully soon also we'll be able to make the DVDs and start uh, distributing it. Um, uh, but uh, it's a part of a series. So another uh, documentary which is linked to this actually looks into the story of uh, a guy we call Anto, and you know uh, about Anto. So uh, Anto is a, a young man in, in uh, East Java. He, um, you know. When I filmed him two years ago, uh, I was filming him to have somebody with which has an insider perspective around the issues of being chained and as being denied very basic, basic human rights um, uh, because of mental health problem. And I thought I was filming somebody who retrospectively was talking about this experience. 
sadly, as I mean, uh, Anton and I became friends, so we are constantly in touch through Skype, Facebook, email, you name it. And uh, and uh, sadly, since I filmed him, he has been going on and off chain several times. Although he's actually, you know, he speaks English, has learned English, he's now university. His family, when he's unwell, chain him. And it's not because they are, they are bad people. I've been living with Anton for a little while, so I know the family. It's not because they're very concerned about him, about him getting lost, which he has in the past, about him possibly being a victim of violence by other members of the community. And therefore, when he's unwell, what they do is often chaining him. But as you mentioned, I'll ju- just fun, uh, come back from Philippines and actually went there to film about domestic violence. And while, while I was in, a, in a, um, one island, um, my, my colleague who was a psychiatrist, uh, was asked to go to the house of a, um, uh, a young man who, in Philippines, was in similar condition to what we've seen in Indonesia. So he was kept inside this little hut. Uh, he became unwell when he was in his 30s and it was like that for four years. And he had his hands and his legs uh, chained, so he had absolutely no, uh, total lack of, of, of uh, movement. And he uh, was actually becoming disabled physically because of the uh, an, uh, impossibility to actually move. And then all the issues around the disability developed as consequence of being secluded uh, and uh, restrained. So, yeah, so this is uh, the, the project. And uh, as you mentioned, Wednesday will be launching the first documentary of the series. So please come along and be part of the... It's a really a day for celebrating, again, the human rights of people with mental health problems. So we will have a number of discussions looking from issues from Indonesia, but also closer to, to us, looking at asylum seekers and uh, um, abuses uh, against... Um, asylum seekers and refugees in, in Australia, looking about also uh, human rights abuses against the mentally ill that actually happens within Australia mental health systems. This coming Thursday, the 11th of December, 8pm at the Curtin Hotel, Ligon Street, Carlton, Lock the Gate, the most famous Australian grassroots campaign against coal seam gas, welcomes you to an incredible evening. Come to support this incredible campaign and join the show, hosted by the sexy diva Yana Alana. Two sensational bands, Tech Tech Ensemble and the Sugar Fed Leopards, will enthrall you and get you dancing. So don't forget, Thursday the 11th of December at the Curtain Hotel, Ligon Street, Carlton. Tickets are $10 in the pre-sale and $15 on the door. Purchase tickets at www.johncurtainhotel.com or on the Facebook event on the Lock the Gate Alliance Facebook page. We're back. You're listening to 3CR 855am, special broadcast on Brainwaves for International Day of People with a disability. I'm Ben Renordo and we have Helen and Joel Fernandez from the Leprosy Mission, Alicia Carroll from CBM and Dr. Emilia Colucci from the University of Melbourne. Welcome back. Yeah. Uh, now, Alicia, CBM's also launched a series of videos called End the Cycle and End the Cycle of Poverty, is that right? Um, yes, the End the Cycle videos were um, developed with the support of the Australian Aid Program um, and they can be watched from our website as well. Um, there's a series of um, short films about people's experiences of disability in different contexts across the Pacific and Asia and Africa. Um, it's a great, um, great videos to watch to um, get an idea of what disability inclusion can look like in a community and about some of the actions that can be taken um, to help overcome barriers in communities. Um, So for example, uh, one of the most uh, recent videos is of Timothy. Um, He's a a man from West Africa who tells his story of experiencing um, a head injury. Um, He was experiencing seizures and lots of pain after um, the accident and um, his fa- he wasn't able to go to work um, at that time because of the pain and his family um, uh, left him um, and his community started to exclude him as well and so over time he started to feel really depressed and he started to um, think about suicide as well um, and luckily he came in contact with 
um, one of our community-based rehabilitation programs um, that focused on mental health and they provided him some information. They linked him to services to help him um, cope with the pain that he was experiencing and the seizures Um, and they also um, supported him to join a self-help group where um, he could share his experiences with others and um, and start the healing process. Um, he now uh, facilitates those self-help groups and um, assists other people to get support when they need it as well and to build awareness in the communities about how to support someone who's in distress um, rather than excluding people. So these are great videos to demonstrate different ways that disability inclusion can happen in communities in um, some of the poorest countries. Thanks. I think uh, peer support is really important and essential and I work in peer support in mental health as as an advocate as well and um, makes such a difference. Now, Helen and Joel, we're going to ask you to talk a bit about the Millennium Development Goals and Inclusive Development. Yeah, sure. I think... um as the world has been drafting the um, post-2015 Sustainable Development Goals, there's been a lot of advocacy um, really towards more inclusive <laughs> development goals. And um, I think one of the great things that the disability and development um, world has going for it, um, particularly in Australia, I think, is um, there's a really great organisation, um, Australian Disability and Development Consortium, and um, really, together with their international counterpart, um, this International Disability and Development Consortium, they've been really, I guess, instrumental in gathering and um, advocating for the Sustainable Development Goals, along with many, many partners around the world, um, for those Sustainable Development Goals to be more inclusive and to really, um, I guess, hear the voices of people with disabilities from from all over the world and that those goals are shaped by those voices as well. And, um, I mean, I think in the disability and development sector, um, there's just great collaboration and cooperation. And I think that um, because of ADDC and IDDC, hopefully we can work towards some really inclusive um, sustainable development goals for post-2015 that really do capture the voices of people with disabilities and are for them <laughs> um, as well as for everyone else but not definitely not excluding them um, which we've seen in the past <laughs> um, so yeah I guess that just heading forward and looking forward um, from here that as the world continues to draft <laughs> those um, goals that I think it's just really important for people to be involved in that conversation um, to advocate for inclusion and to promote diversity So just for our listeners the Millennium Development goals or the MDGs are eight development objectives set by the United Nations membership organisations for the global community. The goals consist of 21 quantifiable targets and are measured by 60 indicators. They address the needs of the world's poorest citizens and the world's most marginalised populations by featuring collaborative action in key areas such as poverty, education, health and the environment. Um, the MDGs do not explicitly mention disability, but it's good that organisations and individuals are advocating to get disability-inclusive development on the agenda, mm-hmm. which CBM and the Leprosy Mission have played a role in that. Our guests today are Alicia Carroll, Technical Advisor for Disability-Inclusive Development at CBM in the Inclusive Development Department, Helen Fernandez, International Program manager with the leprosy mission and joel fernandez who's a disability advocate in timor-leste with the the national dpo there and we also have dr erminia colucci from the global and cultural mental health unit at the university of melbourne i'd just like to say that it's been a fantastic program um a bit about myself um i had adult onset of a physical and mental health condition and um, I've had an interest in development from a young age having grown up in West Africa and going on to study international and community development 
and now working in community mental health promotion, advocacy, and recovery are some of my interests now. And it's been a long-term interest which has sort of fostered my passion to alleviate poverty and improve livelihoods. I've volunteered both in Australia and abroad with several different humanitarian aid agencies and these experiences have had a great impact on my life and I've become very passionate about issues of poverty and social justice. I hope today's program has been informative and inspiring. Through my travels and personal life experiences, I've been inspired by the work being done to alleviate poverty and am constantly challenged to make a difference in the lives of others. Having seen firsthand the plight of people with disabilities, I'm motivated to participate in this global movement aimed at increasing the capacities of organisations, individuals and communities to address the barriers to access and participate to access and participation of people with disabilities and that's what today's program's been all about um and just finally i i'm a supporter of and i espouse the philosophy of encouraging participation of people with disabilities in community development programs to develop relevant and appropriate projects that will empower people with skills and knowledge that will allow them to participate in the planning of their own futures and attain their rights and we've heard today a bit about those kinds of movements all around the world. So any final key messages from our guests for our listeners today in celebration of International Day of People with Disability? Um, I think it's fantastic that 3CR has committed time um, to dedicate a day to International Dis- uh, Day of People with Disability. Um, it's a really great time for us to reflect and to think about the issues um, that people with disability face every day, um, to remind ourselves of our obligation to, as Australians um, under the United Nations Convention of the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, that um, every person has a right to Um, reach their full potential in life um, and that we can all play a role whether it's in our own community or in our own organisation or in development um, like where we work Um, so thanks very much for the opportunity to speak today Thanks Alicia Mm -hmm. We're coming towards the end of our program please send your listener feedback to brainwaves at mifellowship.org to take us out we've got Beyond Blue by Ray Murta Stay tuned for coming up next is Small Talk, who will be live on air with a special broadcast for International Day of People with Disability.